The International Anthony Burgess Foundation Podcast, Episode 9, Anthony Burgess in Malaya. I'm joined here at the International Anthony Burgess Foundation by Dr. Matthew Whittle of the University of Leeds. He's here to talk about Anthony Burgess in Malaya, specifically Burgess's writing on Malaya, including the Malayan Trilogy. Matthew, I was wondering what the the Malaya Burgess experienced was like generally, specifically for the, the, the British people over there. So, so what was um, the British role in Malaya at the time? Yeah, so Burgess uh, arrived in Malaya in, in 1954, and it was very much a Malaya of sort of anti-British sentiment in many ways. There was uh, a kind of build-up towards um, independence um, and a rejection of, of British rule. Burgess was, was primarily um, in the country to work for the colonial service in that transition. So he was there to sort of teach um, at uh, you know, a, a school for, the, for the, the upper classes who would then take over the reins of, of, of control of, of the country after independence. So, yeah, it was very much a moment of transition that, that Burgess was responding to. It wasn't a very stable sense of sort of um, British dominance at, at that particular time. And, and you mentioned the class of Burgess's students, but... Malaya as a country was made up of, of many different, mm. not just classes, but different, different races and different types of, of people. Mm. I mean, who, what sort of people was, was Burgess seeing while he was over in Malaya? Yeah, he, he was, I mean, he called it one of the most sort of richly multicultural uh, countries in the world, really. And, and he, he encountered a country which was, uh, yeah, people by um, kind of um, a Malay indigenous population, but also... Uh, by uh, by um, a large population of Chinese and Indian inhabitants, inhabitants as well that had been living in in that country for for, for decades. The, the Chinese um, population would, were primarily um, there to, to to work on the tin mines, um, and the Indian labourers, some of whom were indentured by the British, were primarily there to work, to work on rubber plantations. So there's these two big industries in Malaya that the British were controlling and the British very much needed uh, the, the wealth from those industries for, the, for, their, for its own sort of post-war reconstruction. But that also meant that there was lots of conflict between these different races within Malaya, especially as there was this move towards independence and, an, a, and a sort of uncertainty about what Malay independence would mean for the Chinese and the Indians. With with those divisions, mm. uh, there came there came sort of political uh, insurgencies mm. uh, throughout um, throughout the country. Really, I mean, can you tell us um, more about that? Really, I mean, what sort of of politics was in play at the time? Yes, this was also uh, it's, it's worth seeing Burgess's position in in Malaya in the mid-50s, is very much in the context of the Cold War, I think, very much in that context of anxieties about, com- about communism um, and, and the battle between capitalism and, and communism that was raging uh, on a global scale. Malaya was very much a part of that, uh, a kind of, uh, of that wider um, fear of communism, and there was very much a, a, a Chinese insurgency of guerrilla warfare made up of, of uh, a Chinese communists. 
um, that were sort of operating in the jungle. Um, and, and, and they were trying very much to sort of secure uh, power during this transitional period. And so you have this, uh, the, the British um, established a state of emergency in Malaya in 1948, largely to try and protect its own interests in the region and, and, and to try and forestall the, the rise of communism. Um, and so, yeah, you have this sort of sense of a multicultural society, but one which is very much inflected by these divisions and by these kind of different political ideologies which, which were very much dominating the, the post-war era across the globe. I wonder if you could tell us what the difference between a protectorate as Malaya was um, and a colony. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, Malaya does have this quite unusual position within the British Empire. Um, it was a protectorate in the way in which the, the British uh, ruled through sort of via the, the hierarchy of, of sultans in the, in, the, in the federated Malay states, as they were known. So there wasn't that kind of direct rule that you get in places like India, for example. And I think in many ways, that's one of the sort of advantages of, of approaching uh, Burgess's writing on this region is that Malaya itself was, or in generally in terms of our engagement with British colonial history, is, isn't often considered. Certainly, you know, if, if we think of the sort of big colonies, if we think of this period of the end of empire, we often go to India or we go to the colonies in Africa, for example, where, where these larger sort of maybe more forceful calls for independence and nationalism were taking place. Malaysia, yeah, doesn't quite have that same relationship to Britain. And so the move towards independence was much more, was much less violent um, and much and not quite as, as well known to, to the British public, I think. Okay, and, and this may be a, a question that, that is quite hard to, to answer, but, but is it possible to, to say how the British were viewed um, by the, the local peoples in, in Malaya? How, how were the British people viewed uh, as, a, as a sort of ruling class, but, but also uh, what, what was their, their reputation within the, the local population? Um, yeah, I think they were largely sort of aloof and largely, I mean, they were, generally I think they were considered um, by many, there was that sort of colonization of the mind that, that you experienced, that, that a writer like uh, Ngugi Wathiongo talks about. That was very much a case, I think, in, in Malaysia where there was that sense of a natural order where white Europeans were sort of the, the, the kind of natural dominant class in many ways. Um, and a writer like Burgess, he, he did try and, he, well, he did sort of um, socialise with the indigenous populations and he did try to move beyond that, uh, what he called the aloof club frequenting whites and, and try and get to know the country. And many of the, the locals saw Burgess, or we can gather many locals saw Burgess as in some ways um, dirty or in some ways sort of lowering himself by in trying to engage with that, that, that wider population. Well, there's that, that um, famous quotation in, in Little Wilson and Big God, I think it is, where uh, he reports that the, 
the locals said to him, you are despicable because mm. you drink with us and we yeah. are despicable, which... Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think that says a lot about that, that colonised mindset, which, which was very much... During that period of the end of empire, there, there wasn't, a, 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 certainly in Malaysia, that sort of firm rejection of the British. But there was, a, within the um, ruling elite and within the, the, those that would then take on government, there was still a, very much a sort of anti-British sentiment as well. So those two trajectories were sort of working at the same time that, that Burgess was there, I think. In Britain at the time, uh, the, the British population didn't really find out a lot about life in Malaya specifically, but the Far East in general. Mm. Um, their, their views were, were mainly formed through, through literature, through fiction. Um, can, can you sort of say why that was? Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't have too much... Um, so, so, yeah, so it's the record of, of um, how the British operated um, in places like Malaysia is very sketchy and I mean part of that is due to a sort of British sense that there was this sort of greater Britain out there beyond the borders of, of the actual uh, you know of, of the United, King, United Kingdom itself um, but not much direct sort of engagement with what that what the different um, interactions with with non-British nations actually involved and actually uh, uh, sort of how they how they operated at the same time during the the, the, the 1950s as Britain was relinquishing the colonies and uh, all over the empire and, and different places were, were gaining independence roughly between sort of 1948 to 1965 is the most um, is, is the period when there's kind of the, the, the highest most extensive levels of decolonization during that period the colonial office were, in fact, um, burning large swathes of, of documents and, and setting bonfires, you know, creating these bonfires where documents were burned or um, documents were placed in kind of weighted crates and dumped by the Navy out into the, to the middle of the ocean, largely to, to try and... It was called Operation Legacy, it's, so it's that kind of a view to how the British Empire would be viewed by future generations and to try and save the embarrassment of the government during that transitional period. So we have very little record of what life was like in places like Malaysia. And that's one of the reasons why sort of the literature of these former colonial servants, as Burgess was, is quite important for getting a sense of um, British engagements with these, with these nations, I think. OK. And, and while we're talking about Burgess, I think it's really important to, to, to paint a, a picture of, of who else was, was in the Far East mm. and writing about the yeah. Far East um, before Burgess mm. uh, and, and who, who would have sort of influenced Burgess's writing, whether positively or negatively, um, when, he was, when he was writing his Malayan trilogy. Yeah, definitely, yeah. There's um, a whole sort of tradition of writing Malaysia that Burgess sort of saw himself um, as joining that, that tradition, but also as writing against that tradition in many ways, I think, that he saw himself as part of a longer line of, of writers, potentially starting maybe with someone like Rudyard Kipling. Um, you know, he, 
Burgess famously quoted the poem Mandalay on, on the way out to, to, to Malaysia in 1954. Um, also writers who he very much admired, like Joseph Conrad, um, and, and slightly later uh, W. Somerset Maugham. And so he saw himself as fitting into that tradition, but I think what you find when you read um, texts like the Malayan Trilogy is that he's very conscious, he's very, very self-aware in these texts of, of his place within that tradition. And he's very much, there are uh, many allusions to someone like Maugham, for example, and he sees himself as doing something which is radically different from those writers. He sees himself as very much a writer who, who has got to know Malaysia much better than someone like Conrad or someone like Maugham, someone who's spent time with the locals, someone who has learnt the language and can actually record this sort of uh, teeming world, teeming multicultural world, as he called it, in a way that those writers weren't able to because they were restricted by their own sort of, sort of Eurocentric viewpoint. They were restricted by their experience purely of the, the, the bridge-playing clubhouses. And so, yeah, the Malayan Trilogy is, is self-aware of its place within that tradition, but also very much trying to sort of move beyond that tradition, I think. When, when talking about Burgess's experiences in Malaya, it's quite difficult because really the only source we have that, that refers to Burgess in Malaya is, is Burgess himself in mm. his autobiography or his many um, piece of journalism about his experiences in Malaya. It makes learning about what Burgess got up to in Malaya quite difficult. Um, so, so what do we know of, of Burgess, Burgess in Malaya? Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's right. I think it is. Um, I mean, as anyone who encounters Burgess's writing, he's, he's very much uh, always sort of creating this narrative. Of, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of sort of discussion over how much of, of, of the material in his autobiographies, for example, is fictionalised. I think it was once, you know, his autobiographies were once called his greatest novels. And so, you know, it's, it's this, that sense of a writer who is very aware of narrativizing his life, but also, yeah, different stories crop up with different versions of events crop up throughout his career. So it is difficult to get a sense of the sort of truth behind what Burgess's account of Malaysia. And yeah, one of the only, as you say, one of the only records we do have are his novels on that on that period. And we we know from photographs that the, the Burgess Foundation has that um, you know that 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 he met various people, kind of um, British people, but also made friends with um, indigenous Malay population through his teaching. There's the car, of course, you know, the kind of famous car that Victor Crabbe um, uh, is, 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 is very much a central part of, of the story of Victor Crabbe in the Malayan trilogy. We have photos of, of that, of, 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 you know, of, of Lynn, his, his first wife, with this, this, this automobile. But yeah, we, we don't really have very much in terms of the actual, what the actual reality of these experiences were, I don't think. In, in terms of Burgess's own opinions of his own experiences, seeing as that, that is all we have really, I mean, mm. what, what was his take on, on his job in Malaya, for example, um, at Malay College especially? Yeah. 
yeah. So I think that's it. He, he was, as we said, he was, he was teaching very much the kind of upper class Malay um, uh, community. In, in the novels, the history teacher, Victor Crabbe, who is sort of, you know, we can read as a, as a kind of fictionalised version of Burgess himself. Um, Victor Crabbe teaches at a school which is populated by Malay, Indian and Chinese students. Um, and that's largely to create within the text themselves a sort of microcosm of multicultural Malaya uh, and, and through, the, through the very school setting. But that wouldn't have been the case, that, that these schools would only have taught an upper-class Malay community. So we get a sense of, I think, Burgess, who saw himself on the one hand as being very much, as we said, sort of insinuating himself within the culture and learning the language and wanting to... Um, get to know the locals, but on the other hand, we get a sense of a, of a writer who is wanting to almost sort of import high Western culture as well. Someone who saw his role within the colonial service as being able to pass on the, 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 the best that has been thought and said in that kind of Arnoldian tradition that Burgess was very much an admirer of Matthew Arnold and he saw his role as passing on high culture to the Far East through you know, as a lover of classical music, for example, he wanted to sort of pass on a love of classical music, and he, he would hope, you know, he helped to, he wrote, well, he did write a symphony uh, to celebrate Malay independence, and was, in his own writing, describes being sort of, uh, the rejection by the government of that, that symphony, that they didn't want to use it, and that sort of hit him quite hard, I think. So yeah, he saw himself as the bestower of, of a high culture, uh, one one part of uh, Burgess's experiences that we we know next to nothing about is the experiences of 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 Lynn, mm. his first wife, who he, he took to Malaya and who was perhaps not uh, not the happiest of uh, expatriates while mm. while she was there. I mean, what do we know about about Lynn's experiences? Yeah, I think you're right. I think she we do get a sense that she found it quite difficult um, in Malay was certainly um, I think there are some letters again in the Burgess Foundation archive um, of, of, of Lynn writing to her family and there's a sense of sort of home, very much a sense of homesickness that, that we get from, from Lynn's accounts and she again as just as Burgess sort of fictionalizes himself in the figure of Victor Crab. We we almost get a fictionalized version of Lynn in the figure of Fenella Crab in, in the Malayan trilogy. And and Fenella is very much a character who sort of does invest in the, the idea of the exotic East and wants 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 the Far East to be this romantic place that she's read about in anthropology and, and, and in popular fiction. And yet the reality is completely different. You know, it's, it's very much a reality of, um, uh, that she, Fenella anyway describes it as a reality of sort of scorpions and, and beggars and things. So, but, we, but also isolation from, yeah. from other, other people, um, other, other British people as well. Mm. Uh, there's a, a, a scene in the novel where, where Fenella tries to go to a, a film club mm. um, as a, a sort of last-ditch attempt to, to have a, a social life, but mm. it's sort of an ill-fated trip. She never makes it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and she has an affair with um, a local Indian man as well, so there's that sense of, yeah, sort of loneliness 
in in the um, what was called the the Memsabib, the, mm. the the female um, uh, British. Uh, British females who who were out there with their husbands, um, and then that, and that that sort of character, that that figure of the sort of lonely, um, isolated female crops up in in not only the Millane trilogy through Fenella, but also in Beards, Roman Women as well. It gets referred to, and so it is something that the that Burgess was quite attentive to and, and returned to in in different ways. I think in diff- throughout his career, Malaya is really the place where Burgess became a writer. Mm. Um, He had written a novel during his time in Gibraltar during the war, Um, but that was a novel that wasn't published until the Mm -hmm. mid-60s. The Malayan trilogy, Time for a Tiger, the first of the Malayan trilogy, was was his first published novel. Um, What do you think the, the, the... the fiction that Burgess writes in Malaya tells us about both Burgess as a writer and, and his experiences of Malaya. Yeah, I think it's very much the moment when he obviously arrives on the literary scene and starts this huge career. You know, he, he would eventually publish over 30 novels. Um, but yeah, you're right, Time for a Tiger, his debut novel, is sort of where he finds his voice a little bit more. As you say, he, he'd already written A Vision of Battlements based on Gibraltar, and I think he'd already written Worm in the Ring as well. Where, again, two novels which he tried, he'd attempted to be a writer and they weren't published. Heinemann had turned around and said, no, you need to go back and, and, and try again. So Time for a Tiger is very much where, yeah, he starts to find his voice. And it's, it's an odd novel because, yeah, it doesn't really have too much of a of a plot necessarily, it's more of a series of episodes. But it's where he starts to discover his a particular tone. I think he says when he talks, when he thinks back to the writing of that, that novel that he saw himself as a very somber, gloomy writer, but when he actually became when he actually came to write that text he discovered that he had this quite darkly comic tone. And and that's the tone that 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 he definitely takes with him throughout his whole career. And you know, there's a sort of dark comedy to, to all of his novels, I think. And, and how do you think uh, Burgess's writing changes throughout the, the Malayan trilogy, especially in that sort of isolated two-year period? Mm. Yeah, so, yeah so, the, so the Malayan trilogy writes, um, obviously Time for a Tiger published in 56, and then the two other instalments published in 58 and 59. And there is a, almost a sense of, uh, whilst he's, he retains this sort of, comic tone there's a there's more of an engagement with the serious issues of the end of empire and, and more of an engagement with what that means for british identity so you find over the course of of the, the trilogy itself that some of the the themes get a bit more serious he starts to deal with the rise of america for example and starts to i think anyway starts starts to depict the influence on of american power on malaya as something as potentially quite nefarious in the fact that there were no sort of American boots on the ground, so to speak, but America was finding its way into this newly independent nation through popular culture. And again, popular culture is something that throughout his career he's, he's very much something he's very wary of. The power of popular culture to sort of find its way into the beds of the East through the back door, um, through jukeboxes, through films. And it's, he starts to see that as forestalling the creation of a genuine authentic Malay culture that he was trying to help um, sort of he was trying to help the Malays to to, to 
to find a way to articulate their own cultures through music and, and the like. And he saw Americanization as, as potentially stopping that, I think. But also in terms of the, the writing, um, generally the, the style of the writing mm. um, throughout the Malayan trilogy, do you think that, that he becomes more confident as a, a writer even within this, this short space of time? Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think he, he certainly, the, the success of Time for a Tiger naturally sort of gives him that, that extra um, confidence. And to, to see himself as part of this tradition of Kipling and Comrade and Maugham. Um, and and he, he strongly, strongly believes that this, this body of literature that, that he leaves in, in terms of the Millane Trilogy is a sort of genuine reflection of, of what life was like during this, 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 you know, mid, this post-war period in Malaya. And he, yeah, I think the, the very style of the writing reflects that in terms of his, the, the, the drawing of different characters, that the sort of, you move from time, time for a Tiger through to Enemy in the Blanket and Beds in the East, and the trilogy becomes much more panoramic. I think he's, he's able to present lots of different interlocking and interweaving stories in a much more confident and, and much more kind of engaging and, and exciting and interesting way, I think. And, of course, Malaya doesn't... Um just leave that that small impression on him it, it, it sort of infected mm. all of his fiction to an extent mm. um so you have uh references to malaya most overtly in earthly powers there's a large section of earthly powers that's set in malaya and and largely based on somerset Maugham's mm -hmm. experiences in malaya um malaya also infects perhaps his most English of novels, Nothing Like the Sun, mm. um, which is the story of Shakespeare's love life. But yeah. Malaya is, is central to that mm. uh, novel. Yeah, definitely. I think that's right. I think he doesn't... He, Malaya sort of being such a formative part of the creation of Anthony Burgess, the writer, you're right, he doesn't quite leave it behind. He returns to it imaginatively throughout his career and like say you have uh, text like Nothing Like the Sun which is f kind of couched as this lecture to, to a Malay audience and it's really where he, he, he's, he's a writer who I don't think he's got the reputation for doing so but if you look at the, the influence of Malay on his writing he's, he's a writer who's very much interested in race I think he's interested in racial identities um, and that comes probably from that engagement with the different sort of conflicting races they discovered in Malaya, where after that point he starts to return to it. Um, not only yeah, in, in nothing like the sun, where he where he depicts Shakespeare as having um, an Eastern, you know, non-white uh, lover, but also in a text like um, the Right to an Answer as well, which is set in the Midlands, but is very much about this relationship between a British um, expat who returns home and um, a, a Sri Lankan immigrant who moves to the Midlands and very much about those race relations that were occurring not only in, in Malaysia as he encountered it but when he returned home in the late 50s he discovered a very different Britain that was undergoing changes in terms of mass immigration and in terms of very violent reactions against immigration and so he's a writer who through his, through his different texts I think tries to articulate a view that immigration 
to Britain is, a rea is, is because of the history of colonialism, but also tries to, to address those issues in a way that, that says, well, actually, British identity can change and can become more open and progressive and can include non-white people from Britain's former colonies. It doesn't have to be this static um, sort of idea of whiteness being a single marker of Britishness, I think. This podcast was produced and recorded at the International Anthony Burgess Foundation by the Foundation's Graham Foster and Dr Matthew Whittle of the University of Leeds.